0: We have the best worship in the world. Can I get an amen? These guys killed it up here. Robin, great job on that song. How many of you guys are excited to have Tyler with us? This is his first weekend as our new creative arts pastor. Excited to have Tyler a part of all this. Well, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are truly excited to have you. I do want to take a moment and welcome every single one of you in this room. I also want to look at the camera and say welcome to those that are listening online. We seem to get more and more people that are plugging in to Trace Church uh, via our website. So, really thankful that you guys are here, that you're a part of this as we continue in this killing. God series. You guys enjoying the series so far? Corey did a great job last week, uh, killing self-God. Man, that is something that we will all uh, struggle with. That's a a God that will always find its way of resurfacing himself in our life, and so we need to be aware of that. But here's how I want to start our conversation this morning. Have you ever paid attention to the things that you hold on to? Now, I'm not talking about that towel that you've had for a couple years that you got when you were in Hawaii or Florida on another vacation. I'm talking about that teddy bear that you played with when you were little and you never gave it away. To you, it's a precious memento, but to everybody else, it's a one-eyed, smelly, ugly teddy bear that will probably give you E. coli if you pick it up. Maybe yours is a souvenir from a special trip, a trophy, a picture, something a loved one gave you who is no longer with us. I have a few of these myself and here's one of them. It's a t-shirt that I've had since high school. And as you can tell, it says army, it used to say army. And uh, I was never in the army, but I don't even I don't even know where I ended up picking up this shirt, but I've had it since high school. I probably wear it once a week if you can tell. It's actually got two holes in it, and every time I wear it, my kids put their fingers in the hole. Guys, this is not just a t-shirt. It's an experience. Emily actually hates this shirt. And by the way, today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Emily. Yeah. Taking her out tonight, and I'm actually going to wear this, babe, tonight. So what is it that we hold on to? Unfortunately, not everything that we carry with us throughout life, has these fond memories, does it? The longer that we live, the more likely we've picked up some unhealthy baggage along the way. And at times we like to stuff it somewhere deep down inside and act like it doesn't exist, but it finds its way of resurfacing over time, doesn't it? Our hope is that if we'll just keep ignoring it, that maybe one day it just won't be there. Could have been from something that was said to you. It could have been something that was done to you, some type of wound that was left in your heart. Oftentimes these things come with us through life and we forget that they're there, they're kind of subconscious. So for our conversation this morning, let's think of them as subconscious souvenirs. We all have these, don't we? Somewhere in the shelf of our heart, we've got one sitting there and every now and then even when, right when we thought it was going to be gone, it has a way of showing itself once again. Oftentimes these subconscious souvenirs are rooted in past mistakes, relational wounds, sometimes even unhealthy church experiences. Right? Maybe you were on the other end of some religious rant or rhetoric that left you with a deep wound and caused you to even look at God differently at times misunderstanding who he really is because of how he was represented. Friends, there is one thing that I've learned over many years of ministry that we have a tendency to carry with us, some common themes. But one specifically stands out, and it's called guilt. No matter how careful we have been on the journey through our life, guilt has a way of finding us. It keeps us from moving forward, taking risks. It pushes you down just when you felt like you were on your way back up. Guilt causes you to second guess yourself. Guilt says, don't ever forget what you did because that's who you are. Guilt can even make us question whether or not we're worthy of being loved by anyone. Even for those of you that have been walking with Jesus the majority of your life, you know Even as I say this, you know that guilt doesn't come from God, right? But somehow, some way, guilt has its ways of finding its way into your life. That's why today we've got to kill guilt God. Let's start here. What is guilt? Well, in short, it's it's an emotion. Guilt is a cognitive or an emotional experience that occurs when a person believes or realizes, don't miss this next part, accurately or not, that he or she has compromised his or her own standards of conduct or has violated a moral standard and bears significant responsibility for that violation. In my studying this week, I also came upon this that a psychologist said, he said, guilt is the greatest destroyer of emotional energy. It leaves you feeling immobilized in the present by something that has already occurred. Guilt, like any other emotion, should be an indicator in your life, but it should never be a dictator. Friends, guilt has a lot of influence, and it can become a little g-god in your life. The emotion of guilt should never dictate how you live but indicate that something has happened. And once we realize that something has happened, we then have to understand the healthy way to navigate that particular feeling and keep it from becoming an anchor in our life that keeps us in the past. Several years ago, uh, we were leaving a big church event when Emily and I were still living in Arizona. At that time, I think Lily would have been about five and Jonathan was about three, and we were leaving this church event, so hundreds of people are pouring out the doors of the church, and we're walking, and Jonathan tries to climb some concrete barrier, and he falls, and he starts crying. Now, as many parents in here, you know the, you know the cries, right? You know if it's a bad cry, if it's a serious cry or not. And it wasn't a serious cry, so we're just like, get up, bud. And uh, Lily, our five-year-old, who often likes to parent us, um, she said, Dad! I mean, and there's hundreds of people around, keep that in mind. Dad! Mom! Your son is hurt. Are you going to do anything? Do you actually love him? We almost hurt her after that, but... right, We we experience this in so many ways, don't we? Parents, we're used to this probably on a daily basis. Man, I'm messed up. Mom specifically, look up here. You're not defined by one day of parenting, right? We mess up, but what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take guilt and he wants to throw it on you, and he wants to define you. You're a bad mom. You're not. Jesus knows who you are. Guilt doesn't get to dictate your life. We all have moments. We all make mistakes. We all make decisions at times that we look back on and wish we would have done things differently. And oftentimes, the emotion guilt comes our direction, but what we do with it is so important so that guilt doesn't become a dictator in our life. Guilt has so much influence that it can even change an animal. I want you guys to watch this video. Well, it looks like somebody got into the Hawaiian bread rolls. Trig. Trey, did you eat these? Did you eat these? Trey, did you eat the bread rolls? You go pillow right now. Go pillow. So that video was taken by a friend of mine, and I think it's got like 34 million hits online now. And as funny as that video is, it really does open our eyes to the power of guilt in our life, doesn't it? Guilt has a way of digging this hole in our heart. And then it fills it with shame. And then it tries to cover it up with reminders that it's your fault. This was your doing. When guilt takes root in our lives, it steals our joy. Stills our hope, our dignity, and even our freedom. It will literally cause you to look at this world differently. Let me use this bat to illustrate my point. You see, all of us have a reference point in our life, the way that we view the rest of the world. And as followers of Jesus, those of us that have put our faith in Christ, the cross becomes our reference point. And when we look at the cross and everything that we do navigates around the cross, you hear things that will help you to combat guilt in your life. You hear things that come out of scripture like this. You are a child of God. You are more than a conqueror. Christ in you is greater than the enemy who is in the world. There's no temptation that will be too hard for you to overcome. But guilt is trying to constantly get your eyes off the cross, off of Jesus and onto himself, keeping you in this juggling act because guilt wants you to keep your eyes fixed on him. Guilt God wants you to say, man, you better keep your eyes on me, because if you don't, you're gonna fall. And I don't know if you know this. You guys can try this later. Anytime you're doing this, this is now my reference point. I have to stare at the top of this bat to keep it balanced. If you look away, it is literally impossible to keep it balanced. And that's what guilt's trying to do. Hey, if you take your eyes off me, you're gonna fall. If you take your eyes off me... Life's going to beat you up. And guilt, guilt's trying to beat you up. Guilt's trying to say things like this. You, well, actually, he's trying to take on the voice of God in your life. Guilt is trying to convince you that his voice is actually the voice of Jesus, saying things like, you disappoint me. I can't forgive that. You're not even that good of a Christian. Heck, you're not even that good of a person. Guilt God points out at other people and says, see, now that's a good mom. That's a good dad. That's a good pastor. You could have done better. I'm not sure I should waste much more time on you. You failed. Guys, listen to me. Whatever experience or experiences that you've had that has rooted guilt in your heart, don't miss this. It is not a souvenir that God wants you to carry any longer. God will never use guilt in your life to motivate or to dictate or anything else. Here's what he does do, and I want to make this distinction. God does use conviction, and oftentimes what we do is we experience an emotion because of something that's happened, and we take it, and we originally hold on to it as guilt, and guilt is what is going to keep our eyes off of Jesus. But God says, Whoa, wait, 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 I never use guilt, but I do use conviction. Here's the difference. Conviction helps you to know that you've done something that has steered you away from God's purpose in your life. And once you feel that conviction, it's not guilt, as you feel pulled away from God's presence, God's just saying, listen, I'm putting this in your heart so that I can pull you back in line to my purposes for your life. I don't want you to live in this constant phase and thinking that you've screwed up, that you've you've messed up, that you're a failure. No, 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 that's not God. God's just saying, listen, 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 listen. You made some decisions. Some of them were your fault. And you're gonna feel something because you're pulling away from where I want you. It's not guilt. All I'm trying to do is pull you back to where I want you to be. In My presence. Friends, don't miss this. The cross accomplished a lot of things. Forgiveness of our sins being the most apparent one and the most important one. And this is not a conversation about whether or not we've messed up because we've all messed up. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he emphasizes that there's nobody in this life that hasn't messed up. There's nobody in this life that hasn't had a sin in their life, and even the smallest of sins separates you from the love of God. That's why we needed the forgiveness of Jesus. But He also says, in not so many words, God doesn't want you living with that. God doesn't want you walking around feeling like an, an ultimate failure. God wants to draw you back into His presence, and He sent His Son to die on a cross so that he could replace your guilt with his grace. That's actually our one thing today, guys. If you don't hear anything else in this sermon, I want you to leave here understanding and knowing that Jesus dying on a cross for you and for me replaced your guilt with his grace. Guilt is not a souvenir he wants you to carry any longer. And there's probably one guy who understands this better than any of us, and it's the apostle Peter. Let me set this up. You see, the same night that Jesus was arrested, Peter was spending some time with Jesus, and Christ actually looks at him and says, Peter, you're gonna deny me. And Peter's like, whoa, there's no way, Christ. Jesus, there's no way I would ever deny you. It's not gonna happen. And he said, yeah, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, listen, I will die with you before I would ever deny you. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 69 through 75 after, I'm sorry, let's just read it. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. Later, out of the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And then Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. And before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Doesn't guilt do that? Leads us to overcompensate. Because of an insecurity, because of a promise that we made that we knew we didn't follow through on. And so when we don't follow through on it, we overcompensate, we get defensive. May a curse be on me if I even know the man. The links that we'll go to sometimes and then often this leads us in depression. You see, Peter, he didn't know how to deal with his guilt. He didn't know how to deal with his shame, so what does he do? He secludes himself. See, right after this, Jesus goes to the cross, but there's no evidence that Peter was there. Peter, like the case with us sometimes, probably goes and finds a secluded, isolated place to live in his guilt and shame. Going over and over in his mind again that I've messed it up. There's no hope for me. I'm a failure. Whatever it is that guilt God is trying to whisper into his mind. And we don't see Peter at the crucifixion. But he does show up. After Mary Magdalene goes and finds that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, she comes and runs to the disciples and it says that Peter is now in the tomb, picks up the burial cloths. Doesn't say that he says anything, but let's just speculate a little bit here. Imagine Peter in the tomb with Jesus' burial cloths. Jesus is now resurrected. Maybe Peter's thinking to himself, I've lost my opportunity, I missed my chance. It says in the gospel that Jesus presented himself, appeared to the disciples several times, but it still doesn't say anything about Peter. Maybe Peter stands over in the corner. Maybe Peter's still ashamed, still afraid to approach Jesus even when he's appearing to him after he's defeated death. And then we land in John chapter 21. Peter says, I'm going out fishing. We'll go with you, the other disciples said. They So they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, here's where I speculate that Jesus had the gift of sarcasm, right? I mean, that's the last thing you want, right? You're you're fishing, you haven't caught anything. Here's Jesus, you know, if you ask me, he's tongue-in-cheek from the story. Hey, guys, you guys caught anything? You know, giggling to himself, maybe. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, that it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, everybody tune in real quick because everything I've said has led us up to this point. why did Peter need to grab his outer garment? This is an interesting thing. Small, small point, but this is very interesting. Why did Peter need to grab his outer garment? He's in the boat. They're probably going to row the boat back into shore. They've just realized it's Jesus, but he picks up his outer garment, ties it around his waist, and he jumps. Friends, this is my encouragement for you this morning. Peter was done living in the past. Peter was done living in shame. He was done letting guilt dictate his life. And he saw Jesus and he fixed his eyes on Jesus and he said, I'm not going back. So he ties, pretty much takes everything that he has, his outer garment, ties it around, jumps in the water and he says, from now on, Jesus is my reference point. Not guilt. I don't know where some of you are today. I don't know what it is that's left guilt rooted in your life. It could be something that was done to you, but oftentimes it's stuff that we do ourselves. It's promises that we made that we didn't fulfill. Mistakes that we made, decisions that we made that we hope nobody ever finds out. Whatever it is, if, if the root of guilt has found its way into your heart, Jesus is trying to uproot that for you because he wants to replace your guilt with his grace. Let me show you what he does for Peter. When they had finished eating, so they find their way to shore, cook some fish up. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, pause. This is an interesting thing that Jesus does. He doesn't just say Peter. It says Simon, son of John. That is his full name. Simon was another name for Peter, but now he's calling him by his family name, even son of John. In other words, Jesus is looking at Peter, saying, I know you. I know you. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, I know you. Do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, I know you. Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, "That if, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Friends, Jesus, he knows who you are. He knows you're not defined by your past mistakes, your worst moment, your ugliest sin, your biggest regret. And not only does he not want you to, not only does he not want you to live and move on with guilt in your life, he wants to replace it with his grace. And he still wants to use you just like he still wanted to use Peter. So let me ask all of you a question this morning. And if you would, would you respond out loud? Do you love him? then let him replace your guilt with his grace. Do you love him? Then let Christ become the focal point, the reference point of your life in which you see everything else, removing the shame and the guilt that you've been holding on to, putting it on a shelf, carrying it as a, a subconscious souvenir in and through your life. Let him replace that. Do you love him? then let Jesus lead your life once again. Keeping guilt from becoming a dictator. Guilt can be an indicator in our life and the indicator when you feel the emotion of guilt from from now on moving into the future, that indicator when you feel that emotion, that it takes your eyes and it puts it back on Christ. He's your reference point, not guilt. Let me close with this Hebrews verse. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering you on, it means we'd better get on with it. Stripping down, getting rid of the guilt, the shame, whatever it is that's anchoring you in the past and running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. Now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through. I love that wording. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Friends, run your race without allowing guilt to anchor you in the past any longer. Today, we have to kill. Guilt, God. Let's pray. Father, this is one of those subjects that all of us can identify with. doesn't matter how spiritually mature or immature we may be. God, guilt has its way of finding, finding a place that it can take root in our heart. God, would you uproot it? for each and every person in this room, because it just keeps us, it keeps us living in the past. And God, would you show us that you're ready to replace it with your grace. Father, we need you because as much as we talk about this and probably everybody in here understanding that what's been said is true, guilt has a pretty strong hold on us at times. And so, Father, I pray that in a way that only you can, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you help remove it. Father, that you would fix our eyes on your son, Jesus, once again, not letting guilt be our reference point, but letting Jesus be our reference point. We pray this in his name. Amen.